Today we're moving on in our series about God's steadfast love from Hosea, who was a prophet who spoke to God's people and was continually trying to bring them back to faithfulness and to God. And we're going to move on to Jonah, who was a prophet called to the enemies of God, uh, to the world in effect. So we're going to see a different side of God's mission and God's grace and God's sovereign love. It's interesting when you think about the book of Jonah, many of us probably picture in our minds, you know, those kids' stories, those kids' versions of Jonah, where often in those wonderful pictures of Jonah in the, in the big fish, there's a very strong kind of moral message, a bit like a fairy tale, like, you know, this is a ooh, weird story, but if you disobey, bad things will happen to you. Or maybe we've just hung on to the miracle side of the story. And certainly kids' versions just focus on that fish, that whale. And we think, oh, wow, God can do miracles. And he can. But actually, I think there's a lot more to this story than either a moral about our behavior or about miracles. This story is multi-layered. Yes, it can feel on the first read that it's quite stereotypical, that the, the characters are quite simplistic, but actually there's a lot in it. And so as grown-ups, as we look at this story, I hope it's really going to open up our understanding. And as we read today the first chapter, I, I'd like you to be asking yourself some questions about the story, like what's really going on with Jonah? You know, what, what's, what's going on in his head? And what about the people in the story, like the sailors and the people of Nineveh, who are far from God? How are they responding to God? And what's God up to in this story? So I think it's going to be a really interesting four weeks as we look at this. I want to give you a little bit of background. Um, Nineveh was a great city. It was part of the Assyrian nation. Assyria were at that time kind of the, the world power. And they were after world domination. And they were doing that through conquering other nations in an extremely brutal and violent way. Now, we know war is always brutal. But if you perhaps think in your mind of some of the war atrocities we've seen in the news over the last few years, Often those terrible things are explained as being by a few rogue soldiers. In Nineveh, those things would have been glorified and celebrated because that was the right way to do war, to brutalize, to humiliate, torture your enemies. And so they really were a wicked, violent nation, very, very far from God. And Jonah, the man in the center of this story, he is an established prophet. We read about him in Two Kings. He's prophesied to Jeroboam II. He's used to hearing from God. That, that's his day job, in effect, is to hear from God and declare the messages. Now, usually the prophets of God prophesy to the, their own nation, to Israel, to Judah. So it is a little bit unusual that he's called to go to another nation, but it's very much part of what God does in the Old Testament. 
So let's go to chapter one of Jonah and see what we find there. Jonah 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw cargo into the, into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell asleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we don't perish. And the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what would, should we do? What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Wow, quite a story, isn't it? I love it. It's just, it just expresses God's heart that, that we see right from the beginning that God says, go. Now, we could imagine that Jonah would have been very scared to go, fearful of this mighty nation, this evil people, this violent people. I mean, it would be a bit like us being asked to go and, you know, speak to people from ISIS or for a Ukrainian to knock on the Kremlin's door or something. So it, it, it was scary. But what's interesting, if you skip to chapter four and Jonah gives his reason why he, he didn't go, is he, he says this in chapter four, verse two. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to an anger 
and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And what he's saying is, I didn't want to go because I don't like these people. I want them to get every bit of judgment they deserve. And I had that feeling that if I went there and preached to them and they repented, that you would show mercy to them. And I didn't want to be any part of that. Wow, Jonah's heart is pretty hard, isn't it? But God's um, mission in this story is to extend mercy and loving kindness to the people of Nineveh. I think sometimes we're a bit like Jonah. We, we don't say it, do we? Very rarely we might say, oh, I really hate that person. But generally we keep that all kind of under wraps, don't we? But there might be people, individuals or people groups that actually we look down on or we judge as being much worse than us, not worthy of God's grace or mercy. And of course, God, we see this in the Old Testament, that God's heart is expressed time and time again, as in Hosea, for his own people. And God loves his own people. But there's also a thread that goes through the Old Testament that God also loves everyone. And actually, when you look back to the first time that God kind of said, go to someone, it was to Abraham, who's to be the father of Israel. And actually, God's promise to Abraham was, you know, you will be blessed and I will be with you, but then you will be a blessing to all the nations. God's always had a heart for the other, the person who is different, the group that's outside. We see that in the New Testament. Jesus often reached out to those who were excluded, the, the drunks and the uh, prostitutes and the lepers and the Samaritans. And eventually in the New Testament, we see the gospel breaking out to the Gentile world because God, you know, he's always loved the whole world. But that wasn't what Jonah wanted to hear. He wanted to stay in the circle of God's own people. And it is a bit curious, isn't it, that God sometimes calls people to go to completely different people groups. You know, I think of Ian and Angela on our Catford site who for decades have traveled to China and have got this wonderful heart and calling for the people of China. And that's kind of quite unlikely that a couple from Southeast London should, should reach out to a nation far across the sea. But God does that in his economy. He calls us to people different from us or actually to our enemies. Uh, I don't know if any of you know about Margaret Mizen, who is a lady that actually came to speak at a church women's breakfast a few years ago. And her and her family experienced a dreadful tragedy, an awful storm where her 16-year-old son was murdered on Lee High Street. And he was murdered by someone very close to his own age, another teenager. And they could have so easily just succumbed to bitterness and the desire for revenge and hatred. But they were people of faith. And so they decided to forgive and to reach out 
And over the last few years, they have built a wonderful charity called the Project Forgiveness, and they go into prisons and they, they try and bring reconciliation and hope to people like the person who killed their son. That is the heart of the gospel, that we are called to all kinds of people to share about God's mission, his love that never, ever ends and never excludes anybody. So God said, go, and Jonah said, no. I mean, he's, he's a prophet. He knows when God speaks. He's got the clear message but he's just determined to say no. So instead of even staying where he was, uh, he doesn't just not go to Nineveh, but he runs from God. He, instead of going overland east to Nineveh, he goes as far west by boat as he possibly can. He runs away. Tim Keller has written a brilliant book about Jonah. It's called The Prodigal Prophet. And in that book, he parallels the story of Jonah with the story that Jesus tells in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. And he says that, you know, in chapter one, Jonah is very much like the prodigal son. He does not want to hear his father's voice. He just runs away. He wants to live a life that, is, that doesn't fulfill God's calling, the father's calling. And he then finds himself in a storm of poverty and loneliness. And eventually he comes back to the father and the father embraces him, shows him his mercy and grace. And he is welcomed back into the, into the family. But in the parable of the prodigal son, there are two brothers. And Tim Keller says that although in chapter one, Jonah is like the first brother, in chapter four, Jonah is like the second brother, the elder brother, who stands outside and is like, why are you forgiving them? Why are you forgiving the prodigal? Why are you doing a party for him? And Jonah's like this. When Nineveh does repent, Jonah stands outside the city and he rants and raves and he's angry with God. Why have you forgiven them? Why are you giving them a second chance? And he has that self-righteousness that looks down on them, despises them. It's interesting when the sailors kind of challenge Jonah, his first response when they ask like, who is he and where is he from and everything, he, he doesn't say I'm a prophet, uh, he says I'm a Hebrew. And Tim Keller raises the interesting question, is this about nationalism? Was it about hatred of a people group? Was it actually about racism, that he wouldn't go to the Assyrians. And that's quite challenging for us, isn't it? Because do we keep to our own people group, people like us, people who look like us, people with the same educational background or the same class, or are we willing to just extend the love of God to all, to build bridges? Do we hold people at a distance who are different from us? The book of Jonah challenges us to break down those barriers, to say yes instead of no. There is one little glimmer of hope where um, the sailors say to Jonah, what shall we do? Um, he does say, well, 
just throw me overboard and then everything will calm down. And in that moment, it's hard to know, is he just saying that out of kind of despair and almost like I'd rather die than, than stay in this situation. Let me just kind of run away to the extreme and actually die. Or is there a little bit of compassion that he shows for these sailors who are foreigners, who, are, who don't believe in his God? We don't know, but maybe there's a little bit of a change of heart beginning in Jonah. And then Jonah falls over the edge of the boat and a big fish catches him. Now, people over the years have, you know, worried about this fish. Is it a fish? Is it a whale? Is it possible for a human to go into a fish and survive? What's going on there? I mean, I'm sure it must have been quite unpleasant in there for Jonah, but we shouldn't get distracted by that because the heart of it is that God in the storm provides a way of rescue for Jonah. He saves Jonah. And as a, an aside, if, if you're in a storm, God can provide a way of rescue, a way out for you, whatever your attitude and whatever's gone before it, because he's a God of mercy. So we leave Jonah in the belly of this great big fish. But going back to the sailors, what was their response? Well, the sailors say what? They are full of questions. And you know, if you're in the middle of a storm, it's a good thing to ask some questions. They call out to their gods. I mean, this is where the stereotypes get flipped because Jonah won't pray, but these sailors, these foreigners, these pagans, they cry out to their gods and they know that so something supernatural is going on. And as soon as they realize it's Jonah's fault, they could have just thrown him overboard. They could have done away with him, but they show him compassion. They try and work out, well, what can we do? And, and is there another way? And they row even harder. They show him compassion in a way that he won't show compassion to the Assyrians. And so God, again, turns around what we expect. And even when it comes to the moment when they have no other choice and they throw Jonah overboard, they cry out to the God of Jonah and say, forgive us. You know, we, we don't hold us accountable for this. And Jonah, you know, as he goes over that, maybe those are the last words that he hears. And when the storm calms, then they worship God and they make their vows to him. So in this story, in this chapter, they've turned from people far from God, um, just getting about their business, you know, tough, you know, hardworking sailors, to people who've asked questions, and somehow they've come to faith in the God of Jonah, the God of Israel despite Jonah's attitude, despite what Jonah hasn't said. He hasn't shared anything about the good news, about God's steadfast love, but somehow they've responded. And you know, sometimes when we witness to people, we anticipate they won't be interested, they'll be critical, they'll say this, they'll say that, but we never know who God is working in and what their reaction will be. So even with our poorest efforts, like Jonah's, 
God can be at work. And so we should, we should take that opportunity. We should say yes. Now, when you see in the Bible three days, that's always a major alert that this is foreshadowing or connecting with the story of Jesus. And Jonah is in the fish for three days and three nights. And so that connects us with Jesus, the man who said yes. When God expressed his great love for the world, he sent his only son, Jesus, and Jesus said, yes, he went. And it's interesting that Jesus, uh, when he's challenged at one point in Matthew 12, he positively references Jonah and he's, he talks about Jonah being in the belly of a huge fish for three days and three nights. And he says this is a sign of the Son of Man going to be uh, for three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he says this, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but now something greater than Jonah is here. He's saying, you know, the people around me, the Pharisees, those, they wouldn't repent, but you're actually looking at someone greater than Jonah. Jesus went beyond anything Jonah would ever do. He said yes, and when it came to the crux, he was willing to say yes to death to be thrown overboard, not just for his friends, but for his enemies. As he was nailed on the cross, he is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he goes down into the tomb for three days, and then he is raised up powerfully by God that he may demonstrate God's loving, steadfast, faithful love. And you know, in Matthew 28, after the resurrection, Jesus hands on this call to go to his disciples. So he says in Matthew 20, 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1, Jesus says to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that message comes right down to us. We may not be prophets, we may not hear the word of the Lord in the same way as Jonah did, but the words of the Bible say to us, the words of Jesus come to us and say, go witness, tell people about my love, bring them into the kingdom. You know, that's not always easy, is it? You know, I this week I was in a book group in my cul-de-sac where I live and we, we'd been reading a book that was quite negative about people of faith, a novel. And so I thought about, oh, how could I perhaps talk about faith? How could I defend people of faith? But you know what? When I was in that circle, I bottled it. I didn't say anything about the theme of faith that went through that novel. And I was disappointed in myself. But then later on in the evening, it was an informal evening, there was lots of chat and snacks and all the rest of it. Someone started asking me about my job and they were really quite curious and they were asking questions and another door opened for me to talk about my faith and the church and what I do. 
And you know, God gives us so many opportunities to share our faith and we don't always get it right. And sometimes we deliberately say no and sometimes we just miss the opportunity, but he's at work in the world. He's at work in ways that are unexpected and you can join him in his mission. And if you just say yes and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, then you can be at work in the world sharing the good news. And I think there's probably a few people in our church that actually are called to go to a particular group of people, maybe even a particular nation. And if that's you and you're finding it difficult to say yes, or you don't even know how to do that, we'd love to pray for you and support you and work out what that means. But for most of us, we're not called to cross the ocean, we're called to cross the street witness to our friends, our family, our colleagues, our neighbours. But I do think there's an element that God does call us to keep looking for opportunities to witness to people different from us, to show the steadfast love of people that maybe we even might feel are our enemies or we look down on them because God wants to root that attitude out of our heart. He wants to be... He wants us to be people who are full of mercy and kindness to all people. So let's be people who say yes. Let's come to the cross of Jesus and see again the man who said yes, because it's only when we realise what he's done for us that we can have the courage to speak up and share that good news. We're going to break bread together and come back to the cross. That's where we find the motivation, the love and the power to be witnesses about the great steadfast love of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that we will get hold of your heart for this world that you love everyone. It's not your will that anybody should perish. You want us to break out of our barriers and the things that separate us from people. You want us to be witnesses in Catford and Lee and Downham and Beckenham, in London, in Britain, maybe to the ends of the earth. You're calling different one of us in different ways to represent something of who you are. And through mercy and loving kindness and words of hope to bring your love into the world. Help us, O oh God, I pray. Amen.